Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to The Women's Podcast, brought to you by Green and Black's Organic Chocolate. Chocolate to savour. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. And a quick reminder that our big night in is happening this Saturday with broadcaster Claire Byrne. And you can still buy tickets on irishtimes.com forward slash big night in. And as always, you can find out more on our Instagram page at IT Women's Podcast. We're going to talk today about a very disturbing news story in the Irish Times, which was in the paper yesterday by Kitty Holland of the Irish Times. And it's centered around new research which showed that a cluster of suicides among young women in West Dublin last year being linked to the housing crisis, to domestic violence, to social media and recreational drug use. And that was found by a HSE investigation. And one of the most striking things from the report into these suicides was fears by some of these young women that their children could be removed from them by Tusla. And that was cited as a reason some mothers in distress don't seek help. The investigation, rapid assessment and community response to suicide and suspected suicide in Dublin South was ordered by the HSE's National Office of Suicide Prevention in response to the situation regarding suicide within the Ballyfermot community. Though the area has had a female suicide rate three times the national average since 2015, it was the deaths of eight women, eight in their 20s and early 30s over a 10 week period that prompted the report. Four of the women who died between April and July in 2019 were from Ballyfermot and the others were from neighbouring Clondalkin, Talla and Parmistown. Several of them were young mothers. So we wanted to talk about this, especially in light of figures this week that emerged from Safe Ireland, which showed several thousand people, mostly women, have availed of their domestic violence services for the very first time during lockdown. And on the podcast today is reporter Kitty Holland, and counsellor with People Before Profit, Hazel Norton, and also Denise Joy, uh, who is the SWAT coordinator, that's the Supporting Women to Access Appropriate Treatment coordinator at Ballyfermot Star. And Hazel uh, grew up in Cherry Orchard in Dublin and knows that area well. So we were delighted to have her and the other women on to talk about it. We talked about the issues and we also talked about solutions uh, for women who might find themselves in the situations that those who died by suicide clearly did and ways to support women in that situation in their communities, which are challenged in so many different ways, whether it's the housing crisis or it's drugs or it's general social deprivation. And we need to talk about it and about these young women who, after all, are our fellow citizens who came to a point in their lives where it felt like the only option they had was to end their lives, leaving behind in a lot of cases some very young children. So here they are, Kitty Holland, Hazel Norton and Denise Joy. Thank you all very much for joining us on the Women's Podcast. Kitty, I'm going to come to you first. Could you just tell everyone about the really quite powerful and moving story you had in the Irish Times yesterday? 
This story that uh, was published yesterday, um, it was on foot of a HSE report that was ordered last year into a, um, a cluster of suicides among young women um, in the West Dublin area, kind of in Ballyfermot, but also Clondalk and Tala and Parmistown. And it was um, on foot of eight suicides in a 10 week period there um, in the summer of last year. And there's always, I mean, it's had an unusually high level of female suicide. Um, it's been three times the national average in the area since 2015. But it was this cluster in particular, which I suppose got alarm bells really ringing um, because it was, you know, so concentrated between April and July last year. And the um, the the report found, um, which was ordered by the HSE, was that the suicides were linked to a, a number of issues. So I suppose every you know crisis is very personal and very complex. But they've identified the housing crisis, domestic violence, social media, and recreational drug use as factors in these deaths. And that one of the things that I found quite striking was that um, they found that fears that children could be taken into care by Tuzla if women reached out for help was one of the reasons mothers in particular wouldn't um, seek help. And I find that really shocking and really telling, I suppose, that mothers and young women, I suppose it goes to the heart of how much pressure they feel under, particularly young mothers, um, how much stress they're under and how sort of idealised they feel the image must be that they put forward and all that kind of mounting pressure and sort of sense of failure, I suppose, and stigma that goes with all those things that just that, that happen in life, like the housing crisis and domestic violence and recreational drug use and, and then the pressure of social media. So that's the kernel of the report. I know you have some experts there who will kind of get in under the issues. Just before I move on to Hazel, they talk about this contagion effect. Um, and you mentioned social media there. Is this fear that further suicides would occur as well? Yeah, I mean, I suppose this is always a fear when there's a kind of a, a cluster of suicides that there will be a contagion effect. But I mean, one of the things, because I was looking at this issue last year, I spoke to people out in Ballyfermot and I spoke to some families who've been affected. And one of the things they said was the size of the funerals, you know, the absolute devastation in the area. And remember, these are mothers with young kids. I mean, one of the families I interviewed, their, 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 their daughter was the mother of a, a young boy. Um, and you know, it's just, it just, it's mind blowing that this, you know, that this can happen, you know, as a mother to think that, um, mother myself to think that someone could be in such despair and such distress. And one of the things, one of the women in Ballyfermot Star said to me that, uh, who had got to the brink of, of thinking about taking her own life, which she said she really, really believed that her children would be better off without her. She felt such a failure. She felt such, she had let them down so badly that their lives would be better if she was gone. And um, I suppose that causes obviously such um, devastation in the community, but then these huge, huge funerals and the kind of monumentalizing of suicides that they was, it was talked about in the report that they would, the contagion effect and the palpable sense of fear through the summer last year of more suicides. And yeah, just, it's, it's a horrible, horrific, distressing, uh, terrible situation, um, but it goes to the heart, I suppose, of some of the despair that's felt by young women in in communities around Ireland. Yeah, and particularly, um, Hazel, if I can come to you, we're talking about, it just bears repeating, the deaths of eight women in their 20s and early 30s over a 10-week period in 2019, and that's what prompted the report. So you're in uh, Cherry Orchard in Ballyfermot and you've been a councillor with People Before Profit for four or five years. Um, you see uh, firsthand the, the lack of facilities, um, all the pressures that are on 
young women, particularly young parents. Can you tell us a bit about what you see all the time on the ground there? Yeah, I I suppose um, following on from that is what we would see and what I kind of really jarred me and particularly over the last three years was the amount of young women that we would um, see coming into our clinics who are seeking support around housing Um, and they would vary from so many different sorts of situations but they could be from overcrowding and it could be in an abusive relationship and not being able to leave the property and it could be from staying in a hotel room and um, having to travel from another part of the city over to get the children into school um, and one of the kind of cases that there's a couple of cases that kind of stand out in your mind because of you're just kind of looking at them and trying to be empathetic to their situation, but knowing in the back of your mind that there's very little you can do. So they could be on like number 350 on the housing list. And that's looking at nearly 10 years before the council will even look at you and they're in a dire situation. And one woman came into us one day and she was staying in a hotel and uh, she broke down after dropping her child into school and just she just did not know what to do she couldn't take it anymore and she says like I've done my life sentence I've done 15 years on the housing list what else can I do um and she kind of really summed up as that's nearly as as the women who were in those situations were seeing it as was a life sentence to just try and get the basic need of a home um and nobody was really saying that the their issues would go away after receiving a home but if you have that basic need um you could address a lot of other situations that you've been putting off and prolonging and um, that still has never stopped. That's it's only ever gotten more and more. And um, it, I would get kind of probably about three to four cases a week. Um, and that would be through messenger and through the phone that wouldn't even come through the clinic. Then you'd get some that would come through the clinic as well. So there seems to be a case of uh, facilities within our area. They're always uh, Cherry Orchard is particular in the case that they have always planned these large housing schemes, but they've never followed through with adequate facilities. So we've one corner shop to um, service the whole area. Uh, there's no dentist, no post office, no cafes. Um, it was even hard to get a cafe down to Ballyfermot on the main road because they were always saying, sure, people will always be hanging around. You'll never get rid of them out there. Like, so there was always that natural approach of uncivilised uh, behavior that they didn't support the area um so that would be an ongoing that's gone gone back now what did they celebrate uh ballyfermot's uh birthday um there and it was 70 years that was two years ago so it's it is a relatively new area per se cherry orchard was 30 years um and again now we have this is the fourth time that we have a local area plan coming into the area and i think it's important to look at this particular type of research to say well what needs to be done what services need to be put into the area like you have ballyfermot at star your family base you have the youth services you've um the school up in cherry orchard that's um st dalton's it's considered one of the best schools um in ireland for particularly dealing with um you know children that will suffer from various what would they would put on there is deprived areas you know um and all of that's already there, but I think it's the statutory bodies rolling behind them, like the likes of particularly Dublin City Council. And this is the argument that we would have. And they'd say, sure, you're against housing, but it's not always about the case of just building the houses. It's the wraparound supports that go into that. You know, you could everything now inside of the M50 has to go up a particular amount of stories. But where's the green spaces then? You know, we're in COVID, um, you know, situation pandemic now. Where are you meant to go to, you know, like play with your friends and just mix with people and all of those situations come into play and that's just the, the, the that's just tipping at the surface of where you could kind of look at one aspect there's about 20 that's coming in um 
But there is a piece, I do have a motion down at Dublin City Council to look at getting supports for a domestic violence um, specific unit in Ballyfermot. And uh, the piece that I would like to look around in, I'm no expert on it. And I'm looking at working with other services to give me that expertise. Like I just obviously in that position, I can ask Dublin City Council to give their support, specific, especially around the likes of the housing and the facilities is, you know, the coercive control part of domestic violence. Um, and I've kind of been reflecting over the past few years of um you know my generation and growing up and how we looked at things like sure he's just like that you know if he has a few drinks that's just what he does type of carry on and that's just not normal but you know unless there's an, an educational piece around that for both men and women mm. um to say you know that's not normal we should call it out when we see it but at the same time if you're going to call things out and address them where's the supports behind it and I would have been in similar situations like that myself growing up that I thought was normal. And I never knew anywhere where I could have turned to, you know, so it's about embracing the services that are there and the research like this that comes out. And like um, Denise will probably elaborate on is where do we go from there and how do we all support each other to do it? Hazel, before I bring Denise in, can I just ask you then in an area like Ballyferma, which is very tight knit, the community despite all the issues, there's such a strong community sense and there is a sense of people looking out for each other as well. And Kitty alluded to the the size of the funerals and the devastation that they cause. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Because presumably being there yourself and from there, you would almost have known some of these women or known of them or known people who know them. So tell me about that sense of what when when those things are happening in a community like Ballyfermot, like what effect it has. Yeah, and I I think there's like a double-edged sword with the whole... um, connectiveness that we have in Ballyferman and Cherry Orchard so we're really you know you could knock into your neighbour and get a bag of sugar and all that like oh that's still the approach that's in there but then there's also the aspect of if you are going through something internally within your relationship chances are the majority of the area might know and then that can cause an own, an own internal kind of conflict as to, you know, trying to keep up that pride, as as uh, Kitty says, well, not letting you decide the fact that your children are being affected and stuff like that into it. So it would have a boat um, approach to it. Like it would have, I didn't know some of the women and I, w- I would have known probably extended parts of their family. Everybody seemed to be affected in some way, shape or form. And it shows the hurt and the pain that penetrates the area when we lose these young women in our area. But at the same time, um, it's become a case of where I don't want to say the norm, but it's 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 like we all flood out to kind of show our respect, but we're we're just left then at the cliff edge because where do you go then beyond that? So it's a case of everyone recognizes there's hurt, there's dysfunction to a level, um, there's potential, but um, you know, it's it's kind of like as I, that's the best way I can describe it is kind of like a cliff edge of like what now, where do we go? And and, and a, a piece that I find very particular about it is um. I grew up obviously in Cherry Orchard and my eldest sibling, my sister, would have grown up in the 80s and she lost an awful lot of her friends to the drug epidemic and that was their scourge when they were growing up. And to me, I lost my own partner when I was 17 to suicide and ever since then, every year, there's been like numerous losses through suicide. So, you know, we would have seen grandparents having to take over children's lives and stuff like that and they would have had to kind of bring those up and they community would have rallied together and this is what we're seeing with the effects of suicide but I just don't know how long a community can keep doing that until somebody comes in and puts the scaffolding in and says look you know we have to obviously look at a new way of going forward so that's the kind of that's the kind of vibe that I get from it that's just my personal you know aspect to it you know. 
Denise, um, just talking there about scaffolding that Hazel said, which is a very good image of, of somebody needs to come in and bring some scaffolding. What what can be done? I mean, you're looking at the research and you're sort of tangentially involved in it. Can you tell us about what you do and where you think the supports need to be put in place? Yeah, so my name is Denise. Um, I'm working as a SWAT coordinator, so it's supporting women to access appropriate treatment. So this is between Ballyfermid and Task Force, and it's run between the local drug task forces. So I started the role in March. Um, I suppose at, at the minute I'm I'm on the research implementation team, which is in the very early stages because it was only launched last week. However, I have started a consultation with the women in the area, beginning with women that attend uh, Ballyfermid Star, their rail newer program, which is the program ran up in Park West. So. Just this morning um, was our second group where we sat down and we're going through the the research recommendations, really, and just getting a feel like, so it's all about bringing the research back out to the community because a lot of times these reports can be done and they're brilliant, but they're only read amongst peers, you know, and they're not actually brought back. So um, it's been really powerful kind of sitting down. We just did an introduction last week. This week, um, we picked one of the recommendations, recommendation five, which is a peer support network. And we just did a big visual piece about um about about what that means, cutting out bits of words and discussing it and and also remembering their friends. I suppose I'm mindful that I started the job in March and um their friends, this happened last year, you know, so it's it's about being very careful. But balancing that with not being afraid to talk about it either, you know, and um looking at doing like a peer element, training up peers in the community. Um, that works very well, particularly in addiction recovery. And I think, as Hazel said, Ballyfermot and Cherry Orchard have a really, really strong community, you know. So there's already peer support networks there. So it's just about shaping that. And I think people are really, really open to it. What shocks me, I suppose, what's different from other reports of this is the housing issue and the social media. So I suppose the stigma around young women and mothers who use drugs anyway um, and, and stigma towards women being mothers and that kind of stereotype but add social media pressures and, and that I think it's a different angle that it's taken and I, I think the recommendations are really strong and we've already looked we've already started to implement them but the start of that is bringing the research back to the community and seeing how they want to implement it because I really do believe that they hold kind of key and the secrets to, to how we will go about this and we're going to be very much led by them. And I know that you only started in March so it's it's hard it's a hard thing to come into and to see all that pain and stuff but what's your impression in terms of like what I was saying to Hazel earlier about the devastation that it kind of wreaks and 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 the sort of frustration I suppose of the people left behind trying to figure it out and trying to make sure that other young women don't end up in that situation? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, the, the the sense of loss in the community and the sense of powerlessness and the sense of nothing is being done about it. That was one thing that really, really hit me very strongly when I took up this role. Um, I think it was lovely to be able to bring back the the actual physical report. Um, we did a, We did a video towards the launch as well, where people who took part, women in the same group could talk about it. But I suppose it was nice to, to bring it back and to show, look, this is a list of nine recommendations and this is what's going to be done about it. But we want your participation in it. So mm-hmm. I think um, it's a huge trauma to the area. And, and I think it's just the sense of fear and and loss is, is really palpable. But I think it's nice to be working on actions now with the cohort of women. So the idea is to start in the Valley Firm and start with that existing group then move to youth services and then move to other services. And um, my role 
um, supporting women. We're kind of looking to support women who are not actively engaged with treatment, but I suppose the best way to get access to them is to start with people that are already engaged. Um, but yeah, it's great to have some actions to bring back and for people in the community to see that, look, there is something being done on a national level about this, that, that you're worth it, you know. And that must be something that gives them a little bit of, uh, yeah, empowerment or a sense that it's being observed and it's being, someone's trying to tackle it. That must be good. Escape the Ordinary with Green and Black's Organic Chocolate, sponsor of the Women's Podcast. A rich, intense chocolate to savour. Kitty, going back to um, the wider issue of domestic violence, because and I'm sure you all have something to say on this, you know, figures this week from Safe Ireland showed that thousands of uh, women have access services for the first time during the pandemic. Have you been watching this in terms of your your journalism, Kitty? And have you any thoughts on 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 sort of, I suppose, what I, I call an epidemic? And it's sort of like there's not going to what's the vaccine for it? You know, there doesn't seem to be much uh, thought about that at the moment. Well, I mean, I suppose just listening to um, Denise and Hazel there and, and thinking about, you know, the, the issues that are very particular to women. I mean, and one of them is domestic violence and the other, I suppose, is motherhood and, you know, the housing crisis and those and poverty. Um, but but yeah, I, mean, I think what's key to, you know, obviously we have the, the poverty issue and the housing crisis is about empowering young women and empower. Um, emp- and that sounds so trite, but. To, one believing them, you know, uh, when they're when they're experiencing domestic violence, um, and 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 supporting them to recognise that they don't have to live that life, and that they um, and that they should be believed. It's about making sure young girls finish their education. It's about making sure they have housing. It's about supporting them as mothers and supporting them to be good enough mothers. They don't have to be perfect mothers. And all the pressures that are on young women, you know, which are just are, are particular to women. They are not the same on men. They're, 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 and I speak, speaks frequently about the idealization of motherhood and the pressure and how mothers judge each other about whether they're good enough mothers. Mothers judge themselves harshly. Um, society judges mothers and society chooses whether to believe or not to believe women when they need support. And and if you don't believe women when they need support, they're not going to reach out and, and seek it. So it's... It's and and I think the escalating numbers of women seeking um, help with domestic violence is, I suppose, is a tribute to the work of those uh, mainly women working in the sector, who are saying we're here and we believe you and we're here and we believe you and the ads we've been hearing over and over again on the radio and everything are putting that narrative out there we're here and we believe you and I think that's a change I think it's a really positive change but we need that in other areas for young for women as well we need you know to say it's okay to not be the perfect mother it's you know it's okay not to look perfect I mean the pressures the social media pressure on young women I've an 18 year old daughter myself the pressure they put themselves under and that's one thing that was said to me um, about most of these young women who have taken their own lives they were gorgeous always turned out absolutely beautifully would have the perfect nails the perfect hair the perfect makeup beautiful fashion the pressures that women are under are um immense and i think women need particular supports and um society i think is beginning to come around to realize that but um you know that's where it's at and it's it's about supporting young girls to finish their education get out have a life and and that they have the rights to not live in poverty and or live in you know abusive relationships and to have decent housing Hazel, can I just ask you about that? Because again, being in, in the community, is it something that you're 
hearing about and having to deal with people who are now, especially in the pandemic, like trapped in the homes with with people who are being even maybe violent for the first time or coercive control or other issues like that. Yeah, and I I, I think um, Kitty hit the, head, the nail on the head when she said about empowerment um, because, you know, I was um, obviously within this area, working in the area, living in the area, and my way of poverty and getting back on the ladder was through um, politics, surprisingly, which isn't a huge you know, aspect from coming from this area. It's not as if we'd have a huge dynasty of families that would pass it down the line. And, and I don't know, I'm not uh, with the schools in the area and stuff like that, but um, it, that gave me an empowerment to kind of an, introduce me to people that were different from my cliche of growing up in the area. You know what I mean? So it was a different, it was a completely eye opener to the, even the different types of students. Uh, I went to DIT, but the introduction to the young men that were going to the likes of Trinity and, their approach to young women and it just it just took me about three years of just really analyzing um the difference in in the different types of societies and it goes back to that you know point that we touched on again about the particular aspect of the community around Ballyfermot and Cherry Orchard we are very close and we're very together and we don't tend to go outside of but it's also that other dark side of um you know, you don't get to see how the different approaches in the more affluent areas, you know, and I don't like to kind of really compare it and put it down to that, but it's, there, there is a difference in that. Um, and the pressures, again, like I um, had my son in the local school before I transferred him to the Guile School and um, the kids in Ballyferm at the school show up and they have the best of everything. They have the expensive runners, the jackets, they're pristine. You know, the motors are beautiful getting out of the cars. And it was another aspect of, Jesus, this is a really high standard, like, you know. And then down the road, uh, my son's in the Guild School, which is would have a, a, you know, a more mixed class of kids. And everyone was a bit more relaxed about the, you know, they're, that's how they're feeling today. There's not that standard. So we're passing it on to generation and generation of, you know, it, it's 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 that fear of if my children don't look like they're you know gleaming then obviously there's something internally wrong within the family structure and stuff so it's 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 not a bad um you know way to be it's just I don't know if it's just a uniform approach of coming from an area where you're already you're getting inspected by social um you know the social welfare all the time you're considered obviously like that report touched on the statistics was um, 68% of one particular area had lone parent families and they were mm. specifically young women. And, you know, you've all that aspects and then keeping up with the Joneses when you're going on the night out down into the local pub where everyone will see it's getting put up onto social media. So there's a lot of that. So I, I'd love to see if there's a way of education, empowerment, calling it out and, and just giving that really kind of, you know, that support to women and that power by saying, like, I don't have to actually accept this. I remember I reported a case of uh, that I thought was getting a bit, you know getting down that that road of no return to the police and my partner found out and he tried to make a mockery of it with all the lads at the corner and stuff like that but I was just lucky that I had the ability to say I know I'm getting out of this so I don't really care but like that's that's the particular things of that fear of oh my god am I have to do that nobody's going to believe me and stuff like that so I think it's a big education around it. I'm not I'm not really aware I don't really speak to a lot of people about it I was aware of a lot of people were in situations but I wouldn't dare get involved. Can I ask you about something else, Hazel? Because I think, again, you're very well placed. We're hearing a lot about um, racism in Ireland and around the world, which is which is really great that we're talking about it more and we're being more open about our own internalised racism and, and things like that. But I think a really insidious part of Irish life has always been and continues to be this classist attitude towards people in sort of, um, say, deprived areas or whatever way you want to put it, socioeconomically deprived. Um, mm-hmm. 
as a as a young woman growing up uh, in somewhere like Cherry Orchard, is that something that when you did kind of, as you described, come out into a different world and experience different um, social groups and stuff? Have you come to any kind of reflections on that about just how classist we are as a society? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot more prouder from where I'm from after going out and, um, you know, kind of mixing around a wider, wider society and it, it was a kind of a case of the look you might have got when you said you're from Ballyfermot and Cherry Orchard. And I didn't really understand what that look was. It was just a case of there, oh God, there's a presumption I'm going to be trouble type of thing. Do you know what I mean? Um, and then there was also like, you know, the respect around a really um, strong working class accent where, you know, you'd go out and you'd, you'd be speaking to people, but you'd be trying to nearly watch your P's and Q's and trying to figure out what half the words are that they're saying just so you can respond in that manner you know so it was a lot of um and I, th- I think that was just because of the particular role that I was pursuing which was politics um and, and I really like the likes of the political party that I'm in and the way of obviously I would or wouldn't be there but I think it's just because of the roots that were down into the areas and, and given that step whether people to choose to stay there or not but I think it's really important to bring down those, those branches of um know governance in the country and and give people that empowerment to show that you can actually get involved it's actually not that difficult it seems to be a huge leap but I think the more voices that we'd have from the likes of Ballyfermot, Cherry Orchard, Neilstown, all of those areas that we'd have in there would show the really internalised and what it's like to live in our area but on a broader scale and I'd love to see that more progressed I know obviously we want more women in politics particular traveller women as well and also immigrant women like I think we just need to we're getting there we're you know we're, we're moving in that direction but I'd love to just see more of it and um just that's that's where I think will help us to kind of break through a lot of those barriers you know well I mean thanks for all the work you're doing and I, I think you're right I think the more voices and accents and different faces and people that we have in these places the better things will be because the problem is I think in Ireland and in other countries maybe it's just been too homogenous and one type of person gets to have a voice and gets to influence how things are but it's ridiculous because how we need to represent all types of experiences and often those experiences just aren't reflected in our kind of government or or in those kind of higher echelons. Um, Denise, do you have any other thoughts just um, as we round off the conversation around perhaps more hopeful? I mean, Hazel was kind of speaking more hopefully there that, that things are getting a bit better in terms of being open about stuff and talking about stuff. But any final thoughts for us? Yeah, I just agree with with Kitty and Hazel. It's about empowering uh, women in the community, and it's about it's about creating opportunities, be it through education, and opening things out in in terms of fear of social services and statutory services and community services coming together to create options for for young women in the area. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it, that's all about bringing it. That's all about the peer element and getting the community involved and and showing that, as I said before, that they're worth it. You know. And there's, there's options for you. Uh, and Kitty, just finally to you, because I think at the very beginning, you mentioned that that uh, really worrying thing in the in the report about women being afraid of uh, Tuzla coming and what they might say in terms of their children. I mean, that's that's terrible because, you know, surely a, st- a state agency like that, it shouldn't be something people should be afraid of. They should be yeah, yeah, feeling no, supported it, by. Yeah, you you would think um, it's a reality, though, that um, uh, and, you know, I know Tuzla does an awful lot of good work, um, but when there's a child welfare issue, they tend to swoop in and um, focus on the child without necessarily focusing on the mother. 
Um, and I think that really, I, I know that needs to be looked at, that, um, you know, the supports for women and mothers in crisis really needs, because it does, I have heard people say that if they were experiencing domestic violence, they would, the last place they go is Tuzla. And Tuzla has the responsibility for overseeing domestic violence services because their children are, they could lose their kids. So, I mean, it's it's a reality and it's an unpalatable reality, but it is a reality. And um, it is something that Tuzla really needs to look at, the joining up the thinking on that and supporting mothers who are in crisis. Okay, well, Kitty, Hazel and Denise, thank you very much for talking to us about this really important issue. And I, I think in a way, it's something we need to return to because it's not something you just have a one-off conversation about. It's something that I know that Kitty and your journalism you're always, you know, looking at these situations and monitoring. And so thanks for all your work as well. And uh, hopefully things will get better, but it's just something that has to be kept an eye on all the time. And that's all we have time for. I want to say a big thank you to Kitty Holland, to Hazel Norton and to Denise Joy for talking to us about this terrible story. We'll be coming back to this issue again. And as always, if there are any issues at all that you'd like us to cover, do email us the women's podcast at irishtimes.com. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, by Suzanne Brennan and by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Mind yourselves and I'll talk to you next time. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.